Welcome to the What's Up ABQ podcast. On this edition, breaking news, Lindsay and Ryan show you why journalism is alive and well in Albuquerque, and the headlines are mostly about transportation, development, what's up with the ditches, what's up with the bosky, there's a big flood happening, air quality, transportation, a big construction project, the prospect of a roundabout at Mountain and Rio Grande, the e-scooters, transportation, art, transportation. Actually, kid, listen all about the craft of microjournalism from our guest today and why he thinks it's the future of news you can use. It's Eyewitness Action Live Local Super Doppler News You Can Count On. This is What's Up ABQ. What's up, Albuquerque? This is Lindsay. And this is Ryan. And this is season two of What's Up ABQ. Well, welcome back to another episode of What's Up ABQ. I'm Ryan. (laughs) And I'm Lindsay. And today we're with... Peter Rice, the editor of Downtown Albuquerque News. Tell us a little bit about Downtown Albuquerque News. How did it start? What is it? How did you get involved? All that good stuff. Sure. It's a comprehensive weekday news briefing about downtown. And I got into it because I was the second to last reporter ever hired at the Albuquerque Tribune. And that was a sort of depressing demise about 10 years ago. And I, along with many other people who worked there, spent subsequent years kind of wandering around, wishing there was a way to fund journalism in modern America. And at some point, I thought, you know what? We could just do some really, really local thing, have no overhead, and... We'll make our own news. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not exactly, but yeah, (laughs) I take your point. Uh, So yeah, it occurred to me that it may not be as hard as the newspaper industry is making it look. And so, hence this experiment in extremely local journalism. And when did it start? How long have you guys been in operation? Started about uh, early August. So. Oh wow, so you're like really new. You're just basically as new as we are. Like, we started in July. Right on. We're Albuquerque media twinsies. Oh, I know. I love it. (laughs) Twinsies. Now we should get tattoos. I haven't even had coffee yet today, and we're already talking about tattoos. This is great. So, the downtown area area is super unique. There's a lot of history there. What did you want to start with as far as reporting on? Like, what was was the first kind of like, hey, that'd be a good story, or hey, that's a really interesting perspective? Oh, gosh. There was a long, long list. Uh, Because, yeah, downtown has a lot going on. You can kind of you know, spin the globe, as it were, and, and just pick a neighborhood and, and see what's, what's interesting. So we cover about 10 neighborhoods, and each one has at least two or three marquee issues. And it, it varies widely. Huning Castle, Country Club neighborhood, they wake up and, and think, gosh, there's a lot of filming going on here, and maybe we're cool with that, and maybe we're not. We live here. And then, and then on the other side, you've got something like Wells Park, that where homelessness is probably the biggest issue. Down in Borellis, you have massive rail yards developments that kind of loom over everything, and there's all kinds of... It's not just a construction project. There's some ma- major cultural socio-issues wrapped up in all that. Uh, last summer, so I, I do know about that. And I think it's interesting. That whole area is, like, really moving. I don't know if it's for good or bad, but uh, we'll see. So I want to know what constitutes downtown. I mean, I mean, we know the big tall buildings, but, like, where does it yes, end? Where does it begin? You know? <laughs> she was pointing off to the left, in case, for all those watching the podcast. This has been actually somewhat problematic, because what the hell is downtown? Yeah, there's no official city definition of downtown. Yeah. 
it's just kind of you know it when you see it. I define downtown for purposes of wanting to go to a finite number of neighborhood association meetings sure. as uh, I-40, the river, and the railroad tracks. Yeah. Okay. Or for those who can't picture that map in their heads, roughly a, a mile and a quarter as the crow flies from the doghouse drive-in. That's a good, I like that. I like that reference. You know, I feel like there's so many people that come in and out of downtown, and that is always their point of reference. They're like, well, you know where the doghouse is. <laughs> I'm like, I think everybody does, yeah. And, they'll be, and then it's always like the directions from wherever the doghouse is to wherever I'm supposed to be going. It's like a staple landmark. Yeah. yeah, I mean, arguably downtown, I would say definitely extends across the railroad tracks up to, you know, maybe I-25, depending on how your your conception of these things goes. But that's our zone, and an overwhelming majority of subscribers are inside that zone. So do you have a favorite neighborhood in downtown? I'm just curious. Uh, are you allowed? Probably. All of them? <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I'm allowed to vote for Borellis there because I live there. And it's, it's one of those neighborhoods that especially journalists love because there's so much really interesting stuff happening and so much really interesting stuff has happened in the past. Uh, so tomorrow's edition, which will be, I'm sure, long gone by the, by the time this airs, is literally just a bunch of historic photographs. I saw that on your website, and I'm so excited to see that. I think it's super cool, because Borellos is older than Old Town, and people don't realize that. Like, it used to be a stop on the Camino Real, and so it was a settlement, like, before Old Town was a thing. You know, we always mention this on the podcast. We have some friends that live in Borellos, and they have a house, and they're building a podcasting studio in the backyard. And so we're seeing a lot more of these, like, creative and excited individuals moving to that area, and it's changing, and I'm really excited to see what happens. Like, I just, I have a soft spot in my heart for Borellas, too, so. Every time we drive by, there's a house I should have gotten. Well, we, we, side note. <laughs> no, we put an offer on a house on a double city lot next to where the old Arrow Market is, and um, it was on Pacific. I'm so sad about this. Got the inspection back. We're ready to close. And they found out that there was a fire in the house. And that the rafters were all charred and everything was a mess. And basically the roof could cave in at any minute. And we were like, oh, okay. I have three kids, so it's not easy to like adjust children when school's starting and all of that stuff. So we ended up having to take a different route in life and walk away. But that's still my house, really. I feel like every time I drive by it, I'm like, someday. I'm that way with the house and the animal. Yeah, yeah. This, no, is, this is like the fish that got away with you two. This is it hilarious. Really, it hurts. It hurts so much. <laughs> no, the house, the house that I wanted in Hannibal, some, some flippers beat us to it. And then, like, nothing had happened. And I just, I was, I was on uh, uh, Airbnb, like, last week. It turns into an Airbnb. Anyway, sorry, I won't get on that tangent. Uh, <laughs> get out of those weeds, friend. Grasshopper. So, why journalism? Why journalism here? Well, I guess the the short answer is it's fun. Okay. You get to kind of, as as you know from having this podcast, you get to call people up and really make a fairly outrageous request, which is, can I just take some of your valuable time and ask you prying questions and record it and potentially embarrass you and... Yeah, That's so how you know you have a good show, right? <laughs> and then they say yes. I'm actually kind of constantly amazed at how many people say yes. I mean, some are you know government spokespeople and they're more or less obligated to say yes, but yeah. others yeah. others just are like, well, sure, yes, I'd love to talk to you and your couple hundred readers in downtown Albuquerque yeah. across the country. So yeah, that's it's a sort of curious nerdy thing to do, and that's cool. But the other more serious goal of Downtown Albuquerque News is to pilot a new model for doing journalism. You know, back in the day, newspapers took care of most of American journalism. 
But it was kind of an, an additional thing they did in, in addition to many other things. So you opened a newspaper, and it, it was a place to learn about what the government was up to, sure. But it was also a place to read the comics and to find a house and to maybe find a job or to sell something in the classifieds. So along came the Internet. The Internet gets a very bad rap when it comes to journalism. But realistically, it's done a fantastic job of replacing 95% of what the newspaper used to do. Real estate listings in a newspaper when compared to Zillow, do not look favorably. Craigslist killed a huge revenue stream for newspapers, but it is quantitatively better than what we had before. And even things like, I I knew a guy who drew a paycheck regularly to review movies for the people of Colorado Springs, which, you know, the the Netflix algorithm is way better. (laughs) really specific like niche i feel like he's like i'm gonna do all the time the tribune used to have a fashion correspondent i mean there were some really really niche things that happened that have been replaced by you know movie review sites and youtube videos and they they're pretty good you know i don't i don't think there's a necessarily a crying need for local fashion journalism anymore the internet has all the times you want to review this month Cowboy hats, boots, anyone? Not how few, how many. (laughs) So basically the internet has been a massive success story uh, in terms of replacing what newspapers used to do and giving us that value that we always counted on. The one area where it completely has dropped the ball is coverage of uh, local government and the kind of civics issues, how we all spend our collective money together. And this should be a huge cause for concern for everyone because everyone, whether they work for the government or some private company, they do a better job if somebody's watching them and uh, kind of making sure they've dotted the I's and crossed the T's, getting especially public officials to get their promises on the record and to remember what those promises were when it comes time to say whether they fulfilled them or not. Art project, we're looking at you. (laughs) What? (laughs) Everybody take a drink. (laughs) In case you didn't know, we're now turning this into a drinking podcast where every time art comes up... Or the word millennial. (laughs) And things like, yeah, things like art, very important. But even with under art, there's a lot of really small neighborhood issues that happen. Like, literally, we promised some speed bumps in this neighborhood... Or we promised to put a bathroom into Old Town or something like that. Some really small scale stuff. You know, maybe it would do just fine without journalism, but it never hurts a society to have somebody there to kind of be double checking everything and uh, have that have that accountability. So have you seen some specific issues where you've been able to kind of bring it to light and seen some reaction yet? That's kind of, see, oh, this is the other problem with accountability. A lot of it's completely invisible, but we're pretty sure it's there somewhere. So I don't, I don't know if I have some super specific examples. The, the one that comes to mind might be this week where, because I just wander around downtown all the time and notice things. Uh, you see a guy wandering around downtown. <laughs> yeah, it's probably well, me. He's wearing a beanie. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably drinking Topo Chico, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging out at Prismatic Coffee. Yeah, so I was wandering around the other day, and I was like, where the hell did all the scooters go? They were here, like a Fast and Furious scooter invasion, and then all of a sudden, gone, done. So that's, you know, that's an example. I still haven't, we are the only media outlet that has reported on this, as as far as I know, and I, I keep in touch with them every day. But yeah, there was an interesting story there, 
where, yeah, they'd pulled them off, and it was all kind of while uh, a plan to replace the entire fleet was happening, but there was also this, we're doing this out of an abundance of caution, there might be water damage thing here going on. So, I mean, there's, there was clearly some kind of safety concern, although definitely not articulated in any detail by the company, although the city, for its part, assumes there, there was a concern here. So, you know, that's an example of something. Yeah, maybe, maybe the TV stations would have noticed that. Maybe the journal would have noticed that. But journalism is a team effort, and the more curious people who are good at asking questions and researching things and that we have out there, the more likely we're going to be in a good situation uh, in terms of getting our money's worth from, from the government and having a reasonably good public conversation about how this is all supposed to work. So that's the idealistic reason. The other thing going on here is an e- economic reason. Like, we've, we've had this problem funding journalists in America, but really it's not very expensive, you know, the, the overhead of journalism used to involve loggers and trucks and now involves a phone that you have anyway. So really, we should be able to pay for this. We somehow, even in my neighborhood, a, an impoverished, so-called underinvested neighborhood that other parts of town look down on, unfortunately, we still somehow managed to employ several full-time people to make and serve coffee which has a social good, but it's not necessarily that of journalism. So the money's there. We just need to figure out a way to do that. And the idea of downtown Albuquerque News is you just have a very niche publication that appeals to a few hundred people who are willing to pay a modest amount of money for it. And then you're done. And then capitalism's taking care of this problem (laughs) that that the internet started, essentially. So do you feel like there are certain issues in the downtown area and in the neighborhoods that are very important to the residents that are living there that maybe aren't on the radar for the rest of the city? And what are they? I'd say they can generally be narrowed down into crime is kind of always there right. in the I background. I about that too in a minute, but I want to kind of touch on. Let's take the, the three that we focus on the most, which is uh, transportation, development, uh, and the environment. And the environment is not, you know, like, let's talk about the endangered species of downtown. It's mostly, you know, what's up with the ditches? What's up with the bosky? Uh, there's a big flood happening over the summer things like that. You know, we might get into air quality at, at some point, but kind of the how the natural factors affect humans. Transportation is pretty big. You know, there's nothing that quite uh, gets people to read a story like a big construction project, the prospect of a roundabout at Mountain and uh, Rio Grande. Of course, the e-scooters have been a huge hot topic. Art you know, has been and will continue to be, especially... Until we do something with it. What was it? Uh, <laughs> Joe over at Ito's Barbershop, when we were interviewing him, yeah, yeah he said, yeah, well, they told me it's supposed to be done in November. They never said which November. Well, so they, the acting director told me by the end of the calendar year. Okay. Uh, so that's... Uh, elsewhere, I've heard it reported winter, quote-unquote, which technically lasts until mid-March. Winter so. is here, guys. <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. Yeah, I asked him if I'd be able to ride it to the River of Lights, and he was like, yes. So, oh, okay. You're like, which, let's narrow that timeline a little bit. <laughs> he was not necessarily happy that I was on this line of questioning, but that's another story. <laughs> Let me just, so that was, that was two of the three. The third is development. And that's just, these are all very common things we have because we see them every day. Like, we drive on these roads, we, we walk in the Vosky, or we at least see the fall colors in the Vosky or something like that. Uh, development is another big one. People love talking about construction projects. They love walking by them and being like, oh, I wonder what they're doing there. 
And then they email me and be like, find out what's going on over there. And I'd be, I'd be delighted to. Yeah, uh, what's happening with the De Anza building? That's like my, my big question. Is it going to be like Elvato? Do you know? That's a, see, that's a little out of the zone. All right. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. There's I downtown clearly demarked. We will, we yeah, will table yeah. that. That is more of a Knob Hill question. We'll table that for now. So when you expand it into your next... <laughs> well, I'm hoping. This, this touches on the long-term vision okay, here. Okay. Now, priority one is to get bought out by a tech company for a massive amount of money and then oh. re- retire. Oh, we all? Yeah. Uh, and if you're listening. But if that doesn't work, and all this turns out to be as a way to hopefully sustainably you know, make something resembling a lower middle class living by doing journalism, then there's a bunch of other segments of Albuquerque you could kind of break off sure. and do a very good comprehensive news brief about. And, and the Greater Knob Hill is certainly one of them. I think the North Valley and Los Ranchos are, are another the heights may be a little more problematic because it's more isolated and there's less, there's fewer common features that they have up there. But it wouldn't. And I, I can concur with that. <laughs> but you never know. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it if it could also work. Maybe you just have a bigger coverage area, do something like that. But yeah, these these the more unified a community is and the more it has in common, I think the better this sort of model is going to work because. Really, I'm basically just ripping off the model that worked in small towns in America for for decades on adapting. Yeah, because <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, I do marketing. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk, but yes. By all means. So you think that microjournalism or the way they used to do it is well, is your own words, you know? I mean, see, so you think that that's a good response to. I don't know. You look in the news today and it's, it's big issues, macro issues versus does someone actually care about what happens down the street? Well, I think, I think that we kind of, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording inside Prismatic Coffee. Thank you, Prismatic, for letting us use your space, by the way. No, I think we were talking about how the news in general, especially here in New Mexico, reports a lot on crime. That may not always be what's actually in the forefront of what's going on. It's just a news day. So how do you combat that? I don't think individual crime stories are usually that interesting. The reason, I think, that we have so much crime news is because crime is really easy to report on. You know, APD has two or three professionals who do nothing but public information. You can call them. They're happy to tell you uh, everything that happened. And the police themselves have a reporting function. So they're basically doing a lot of... They're trying to establish what happened. A journalist is trying to establish what happened. So it's a very quick and easy, let's talk, and then I can get a 10-inch story or a two-minute piece on, on TV or something like that. Tell me you, you have a police scanner. Not at all. No. <laughs> very intentionally. No, I started out at a paper where yeah. in Oregon where we, we had one of those, and it was... It's just... You're not out chasing ambulances or anything like that? I just don't really see the value in it. At the end of the day, when you read the, the paper or consume any kind of local news media, that's not fun, right? I mean, some culture coverage is just freaking cool, and so you do it sure. for a combination of like entertainment and enlightenment. But like, why do you read coverage of local government at all? Well, because it affects me personally. Or I want to know how to vote. Or I want to know, you know, want to just educate myself so I can be a better participant in this. And I just don't see how an individual crime story helps you do those things. I see how crime statistics do that. And we run those once a month, broken down by by neighborhood, more or less. Which, again, affects you personally if you're living in those neighborhoods. It's good to know. Right. Right. 
But the real question there is, is the trend line going up or down? It's not like, it's give me all the, incidents. Right, right. Give me the details of this gory stuff. It's sure. just that. Well, we need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. And we're back. And today we have with us... Peter Rice from Downtown Albuquerque News. And uh, Lindsay Dominguez, a co-host on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know why that was my first response when you put that in my face, but there it is. So, like I said, too much coffee today. Right. <laughs> it's me, guys. We, we can confirm. There are two witnesses. Right. Right, right. So we're talking about news in specific neighborhoods, microjournalism. Is there a certain type of news that is your favorite to report? Is there something in particular that you're like, that is my favorite thing to research, report, talk about, write about? Well, let's think of the three areas. I suppose transportation is probably the most interesting just because it's it's super nerdy. And it has many different facets, right? There's the getting around on roads facet. There's the, the bike thing, the scooters. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on in, in transportation. But really, it's all kind of interesting to me because I am my own target audience. I am a civically-minded person who lives downtown, cares a lot about it, is you know, either financially or emotionally invested in the place, and I want it to be okay. Uh, so basically everything that's happening in, in the larger area, whether it's transportation or the two fallen trees in the Bosque, which is literally a story this week for us, yeah, that's it's pretty interesting stuff. Do you feel like your demographic is primarily people like you, or do you see people all over the board, or how do you keep track of your demographic statistics, or do you? Well, there's only so much I can do. I mean, I see the names streaming across, and I forget most of them, but yeah, from what I know, it's, it's a pretty tuned-in crowd. It's, uh, as Gene Grant from New Mexico PBS says, it's professional citizens and news nerds. So it's the kind of people who... Gene's like that, so. <laughs> Keep being you. Yeah, so, so it's, it's people who are very publicly engaged and show up at neighborhood association meetings, perhaps, or the kind of people who might not immediately click past the city council meeting on TV, uh, might watch it for a while. They also tend to be financially invested in downtown somehow. Maybe they, they own some kind of business, maybe even just a house, and they, they want to know if city government is doing what they need to do to keep this to being a nice place to live. What are some civic things downtown that you've seen a real need for lately? I mean, has there been like ongoing major major issues? Has there been like certain popular things that, that citizens, people who live down there, um, care to play about or, or maybe wish they had and there's not? Every individual neighborhood probably has their own answer to that. Gosh, Perales again. I am sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about what we know about, right? So what's the what's the crying civic need in yeah. in Borales? What do you think? I think what looms largest over Borales are the rail yards and this is a very complex term, but gentrification. Okay. We discussed no- that a little bit on our podcast with um, HomeWise. Yeah. With the gentrification yeah. of, yeah, we just spoke with them and that was another issue that they brought up too. Yeah, so nobody knows exactly what that means. Everyone has their own different definition and we'll be doing a story about that, trying to figure it out here in the next few weeks or months. But yeah, that's, and those are both very long-term prospects because yeah. you have this gargantuan set of buildings that are really cool but will be really expensive to, to renovate and how they renovate them could dramatically change the the face of the neighborhood and the kind of conventional wisdom in the neighborhood seems to be that this could either be a a well-done boon for people who actually live there or it could destroy the place 
depending on the all-important details of of how that happens. I feel like, and this could be totally off kilter, but I'm just going to say it. I feel like Borellis is kind of on the heels of neighborhoods like Wells Park. I feel like Wells Park was there maybe 10 years ago where it was like, it's kind of a cool place to live, but like, you know, it's not quite there yet. And now it's been super gentrified. You can throw that word out again. And also I think East downtown, there was a time when East downtown was not necessarily like a hip or up and coming neighborhood. It was just a neighborhood downtown that needed a lot of work and people put in that money and that energy and stuff. And it it did change the entire landscape of the neighborhood and what we see it as today. I have a friend whose dad lived there in the seventies and he's like, you know, I can't believe you live in this neighborhood. You know, this is back in like 2010. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, in the seventies, you would not have lived here. This would not have been the neighborhood for you. You would not have been welcome or safe here. And it's just so interesting because I'm like, really? Because you know, you look around now, East Downtown, it's it's kind of it's kind of bougie. I'm just gonna say that out loud. You know, you got you got some fancy restaurants, you've got some nice Victorian houses with some really pretty paint, and it's just different. So I can understand how people in Brawless might be a little apprehensive about what it could be versus what they're at a crossroads, maybe. You could argue that every neighborhood is always at a crossroads, but uh yeah, it's there's some serious apprehension because there's a lot going on. It's not I mean, I mean, the rail yards really fast too, compared to like yeah. the, the, the rail yards is the, the the marquee example. But you know what Homewise is doing? It doesn't sound like a lot, but renovating five to ten distressed properties in a neighborhood per year could really change yeah. things pretty quickly. And at the same time, you've got these other uh, institutions like the the zoo and uh, the the park and community center. They're gonna in the next couple of years, they're gonna renovate that park uh, quite a bit. And yeah, just kind of other new construction around the place that could change pretty fast. So do you feel like there is maybe, and because you're not originally from here, you're a Pacific Northwesterner, as are we, turned New Mexican, maybe. That's, that's left of today. You got us. We're here. Yeah. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> we, we were staying. What makes Albuquerque unique as far as like other cities or other major hubs for news? Is there something in particular that makes it more unique or more different than places you're used to reporting on? That's an interesting question. Okay, so the, the other the other towns that I have some experience reporting on would be Colorado Springs, where I went to college, and a little town you may know as Oregonians called Brookings, on the on the southern coast there. So I may not have a really awesome representative sample here, but I think the just the fact that Albuquerque's been around for a lot longer than either of those places in in you know a kind of modern settled village format at least. That, that really changes the whole tenor of, uh, of what you report on. In towns that were not much more than a few dozen people as of 50 years ago, there's just not as much history to report on. There aren't as many interesting cultural artifacts, and there's, there's not as highly developed social, social fabric is the wrong term, but a sort of mental conception of who we are and where we're, where we're going as there is here. You think some places just have less going on? Well, gosh. I saw that in the Midwest. I mean, I'll be honest. <laughs> Except for that one time when you worked at a gas station. Oh, my gosh. That was the hub for uh, Russian mob, dead bodies, uh, storm chasers. Um, oh, man. So, so many things. A bunch of clowns one time. No, really. I got stories. But anyways, that's not for this. I suspect there's a lot going on everywhere. The question is, is what's going on something we hold in common? So let's say, you know, all these construction projects and the rail yards didn't exist and 
and uh, nobody was trying to put e-scooters or roundabouts anywhere or art or anything like that. I mean, there'd still be a lot going on downtown. It just wouldn't be as as necessarily visible to everyone, and we wouldn't. It would be happening kind of behind people's closed doors in their in their homes. So, downtown we have we have a lot going on, just like everywhere else. But what we have is extremely visible and uh, commentable and journalistically uh, inclined. So, so one of the questions I usually ask is, where do you see Albuquerque going in the future? But I feel like you kind of already touched on that a couple times. So, where do you see journalism going in the future? Yeah, and I, I've had that where does Albuquerque question. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to talk about, but it's sort of a complete known unknown. Where is journalism going in the future? I hope it goes to a place where we can employ just a lot of journalists. I think the the solution to journalism is to figure out some way to pay them. You know, we, we had some experiments. Newspapers tried to just give away their product for free and uh, didn't work out so well. And they're operating in this environment where there's just a lot of extra things to read and, and consume out there. So it's a, it's a dramatically changed landscape. But what gives me hope, again, is that money is not really the problem. It's just how we kind of organize the, the business model. And hopefully there is a business model that will work. And if it is, if it turns out to be this uh, super local type of thing, I hope that, and this may sound heretical, but I hope some huge corporation comes along and organizes a bunch of uh, super local outlets into some kind of federation or giant company. Because as much as that can be problematic, and we saw this in the you know, era of media consolidation and whatnot, checks and balances work best when the the two or multiple sides are of roughly equal weight and to have a bunch of small time actors who probably don't enjoy a lot of financial security in the in the grand scheme of things up against the government is not a good situation to be in but if we consolidate them into something that can not only pay people but can hire people and train them and pay them to learn the craft, uh, which is not something I'm set up to do. And then also hire a bunch of lawyers to make sure public disclosure laws are well executed and and enforced. Uh, And hire some lobbyists to make sure that... uh, The whole apparatus. Yeah. And again, I completely recognize that there are downsides to this. And there's nothing cooler or more romantic than a small business trying to make it out in the big world out there. But this is more important. Like, we can't just be nickel and diming journalism here. It needs to be a massive institution. And it needs to be powerful. And if a government threatens its ability to check it... Now, this is getting super philosophical. I mean, Albuquerque is not in this position. They're very media-friendly. You know, the the press needs to be there to be a a force to be reckoned with, and it's not right now, and hopefully it will be in the future. So I have one last question before we get to the the nitty-gritty questions. (laughs) No, don't worry. It's not as scary as it sounds. How do you keep local journalism honest and still something people want to consume? And then how do you keep it... How do you keep the voice genuine with the people that you're that you're talking to and reporting to and for? How do you keep it from devolving into partisan hackery or something yes. like that? Exactly. Honestly, this would be another advantage of... That's a better way of saying it than how I just said it, by the way. I'm like, yeah, that, all of that. <laughs> uh, this is another reason to have uh, the whole business reinstitutionalized. Because it used to be institutionalized, and then it devolved into 
this i mean it mostly devolved into nothing but you know what what's left is are these yes sort of very small points of light and yeah i I think the the institutions were the guardians of i'm sure a lot of overly conservative nonsense not politically conservative but but kind of institutionally but at the same time, they, they made and enforced norms for how ethical journalism was supposed to happen. And that's, to the extent I am an ethical person and journalist, like I, I owe that to the, the former era of institutional training. So I think that's something that clearly needs to happen, and that sort of standardization will benefit everyone. Okay, so the big question. This is a, yeah, this is it. This is a very local question. Yeah. Oh, I think I know what this is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm really oh, hey, cool. We, we there are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens. Red or green? So I'm into green. Although my wife, who uh, is affectionately known as Mrs. Dan in the pages of Downtown Albuquerque News, she believes that a mark of a mature human is a preference for red. Boom! Mic drop. That's like. That's pretty solid. That's a pretty big claim. That's very bold. I mean, I, I have known a few people who started out green and eventually got to red. I feel like that's kind of true. Like the evolution of Chile as a New Mexican resident, like green is sort of the introductory and then red is like, I've, I've arrived, guys. <laughs> like, when you're gathered around a bowl of red chili and some bread. <laughs> see, we were just talking about that. with, Yeah, my husband's family's from Santa Fe, and that is, that, that is how it goes down all the time, every holiday. I, like, have to eat before holiday functions because I can't handle it. Like, I can't eat the red chili by itself. Like I, So I just am like, I guess I'm eating before, and, like, you guys enjoy your chili? I don't know. And the follow-up question is, where in town, when you need a good chili fix, and not a, not a grandma's or relative's or anything like that, where do you go? So there's there's a few different places. Uh, for some reason, I have a lot of vegetarians who come in from out of town. And so th- at that point, we go to Monroe's. Yeah. They have an excellent vegetarian menu. But if it's just me on a weekend or something, yeah. it's, a, it's a rotation between El Modelo and Barella's Coffee House and Red Ball Cafe, uh, which just recently got into the rotation because they just kind of reopened a few months back. But if you haven't had that red chili burger, that'll make you a mature red chili consumer yeah, there. You will mature. That is. After the burger. Nice. That was, I think you're like the second person that's mentioned Red Ball in like the last month. And I'm like, okay, noted. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. It's on I there. start working through all these different places that people that's tell us to go. No, we, we really should. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no, but for real, let's do that. Well, I mean, like, that's what happened when we were over at Berkey's Burgers and Dogs, man. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, it is. Really it's so no, you don't understand. Like guacamole, bacon, green chili oh burger is amazing. It is. It is pretty good. It's pretty solid. Do you? And I have. This is my last question. I'm sorry. I just have a lot of questions. She, 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 it's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of things. It's whatever you want it to be. So, do you feel like part of your job as a journalist is to capture maybe the oral and written history of these neighborhoods? Do you feel like being a journalist in New Mexico, you have a responsibility to kind of capture some of the oral history that's happening here because it's such an old area as far as downtown goes? I guess probably. I, I hadn't really gotten that far in the thought process. I'm, I'm mostly, and we have features like that from time to time, mostly because it's cool. Yeah. Uh, and it's really, it's really interesting. And it's, 
especially if it's not history in the abstract. It's you know what's the what's the history of a building I've gone by a million times, or uh, you know what's what's the history of a person who lived a few blocks away from me. Then it's it's a lot more real at that point, and and you almost don't really need to to justify it in an abstract sense. The news is kind of the same way. Where it's just like, well, we were trained in, in uh, the early days of my journalism career that we were sp- kind of supposed to care about certain things. Like the city budget proposal came along and we didn't want to, but we were obligated to, to write about it. And, and so we did so in a, in a fairly top-down manner. Nothing uh, sexier than a spreadsheet. <laughs> right. The cool thing about really local journalism is that all that boring stuff suddenly becomes interesting when it's real to your neighborhood. Like, I've written stories about, oh, the city's going to go request some money from the legislature for various projects, and that's the boring headline. But when the city's requesting money from the legislature about some kind of connectivity project between Old Town and West Old Town and the biopark, suddenly that's like, oh, hell, I could... I could walk on that sidewagon, you know, whatever they're doing. Or, I walked there. Or let's actually, that's pretty sexy as these things go. Let's get even less sexy. Another thing they're seeking money for is sidewalk improvements in the Reynolds neighborhood. Now, boring to anyone in the Heights, fascinating to anyone who's ever walked in the Reynolds neighborhood. Like that's so. If you if you get to that point, then it's just it's it's a whole different ballgame. And if I could say one one thing here, we've been talking, we've been having a, a wonderful, heady philosophical conversation, but there's also a lot of whimsy in this job, just like fun stuff that comes up. Like the other day, I was talking with a reader, and she said, "Get this. You see those cranes? They're they're making a circling motion. We were in West Old Town, making a circling motion. They're riding a thermal from I forty. So that <laughs> that will be a story, and and. But you wouldn't even know. Like you just, you, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to like look up there and be like, oh, yep, that's what's happening. I would have had no idea. Yeah, but a, a, a quick call to the Audubon Society. You have just this this delightful little piece that maybe it's like educational and helps democracy in the grand scheme of things in some way. I I have no idea. But maybe it's just, but maybe it's just cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that's. So I try to do that a lot, too. It's not all like, let's fight the power here and Madisonian checks and balances. And well, you know, I mean, even with this podcast, like we, we had an interview at Electric Playhouse last week and yeah. it was just like so much fun. I mean, it's super cool what they're doing. But bottom line is we got to play video games with our bodies. Yeah, like we, we that is cool as hell. To, to go play with lasers at a theater. They're so like, hey, go nuts. And we're like, are you for real? Like, we, the whole thing. Okay. Yes. Yes, indeed. We will do that right now. So if, you know, someone's listening and they're like, hey, you know, I want to... Find out what's going on in my backyard. Yeah. Whether they want to get into journalism themselves and start reporting where they live, or maybe they want to find out more about what's happening downtown, what would you suggest? Well, get a hold of me, by all means. And actually, let me, let me just give the kind of brief weekly rundown of what, what this publication looks like. So it's usually at least one or two days where it's just briefs. It's like three or four quick stories. Okay, here's where the speed bumps are going in, and uh, here's the thing about the thermals and the geese, the, not the geese, the, the cranes. Then usually we'll, maybe we'll have one or two more hard-hitting features, like a big takeout on something, like what's up with the free fare zone that ABQ Ride has. We'll go into... 
go into a lot of detail on on how that works. Then we'll we'll have some kind of whimsical feature like tomorrow with the historic photos of Borellis, including one. It's literally Dwight Eisenhower and a group of Boy Scouts from Borellis who went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where he had where he retired. Who knew? And hung out with him. So. Eisen- things you learn, right? <laughs> the uh, president from the 50s is making an appearance in downtown Albuquerque News tomorrow, so that's cool. We also have a, a series of four recurring data features, tracking things like uh, how much water is going down the Rio Grande, air temperature of the Botanical Garden over a month, uh, social factors like uh, crime stats, how many people go to Explora in a given month, the Albuquerque Museum, uh, Biopark, things like that. Uh, and then on Fridays, we do this weekly roundup of stuff from other media outlets, so when some local podcast, for example, interviews Old Town Julie Brown, we'll have a link to that. Uh, and or you know, if the if the journal or TV stations do something about downtown, we'll we'll link to that. Or if I just take a picture of something cool, uh, like me and uh, my wife rode our bikes in the Bosky, and it was this weird tandem thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, there will be a small video clip of that in, in Friday. Like stuff like yeah. that, because you're like, it's things that are relatable and things that you're like, I do that. I go to the Bosque. Hey, check it out. I think I saw those guys. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's kind of a tour of a normal week of downtown Albuquerque News. But yeah, if, you, if anyone wants to learn more, uh, either Google downtown Albuquerque News or go to downtownalbuquerquenews.com. And if you want to start your own thing, at a, hopefully in another part of town. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, yeah. or like, you know, anywhere not downtown. <laughs> I, think, I think Los Ranchos is probably, no, Los Ranchos in Greater North Valley, that's a prime target for microjournalism Ready right for there. News pickings. <laughs> so, do you have any gems, tidbits of wisdom, a pearl of great price? Uh, no, no, no. For uh, uh, listeners. The meaning of life, if you yeah. have that, that'd be great too. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to doing this week because one of our readers is actually renamed the publication downtown albuquerque nerds uh and i won't i won't deny the shoe fits there so just to give you an example of the depths of my nerdiness what i'm most looking forward to doing this week is to take the election results which as we're recording this happened last night and get down to the precinct level and to make you know how like on cnn on election night they'll have the county map by state we're having the precinct map damn it and it's gonna be awesome (laughs) all right all right, you heard it here. I can't wait. I can't wait to see that data. <laughs> yeah, All you nerds out there. <laughs> <laughs> because it, I mean, from what I've been able to tell so far, it, there are actually patterns to it. Just as you can see, like the I don't know if you saw the the Kentucky governor election last night. So it was very very close in the county by county map. There's this urban rural divide, and you can you can kind of see patterns and glean insights into who the hell these fellow citizens are of yours. Statistically, anyway. Yeah, so we're going to dive into that, see what we can learn. Awesome. Well, th- thanks so much. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for Thank coming you. out. Thanks for hanging out with us in the rain with some good coffee yeah. on this lovely dreary day, Pacific Northwest style morning. Wouldn't miss it. Hey, Albuquerque, and thanks for listening to What's Up ABQ, Albuquerque's very own podcast. Every week, Ryan and Lindsay talk to the people who add unique flavor and make a positive impact to our fair city. We help point you to the places you need to see, visit, or patronize, and to do this costs some time and resources. So, without sounding too needy, could you help us out by pitching some funds our way? You can drop some bucks in the tip jar by donating at whatsupabq.com. 
And if you know about a local business or establishment that should be featured, or you own one yourself, drop us a line at abqwhatsup at gmail.com. Again, the website is whatsupabq.com, and the email is abqwhatsup at gmail.com. We've also got a few sponsorship spots open, so get in touch with us soon to reserve your business's time on the show. What's Up ABQ is produced by Lindsay and Ryan with post-production assistance from me, Paul Nixon, at paulnixonvo.com. Make sure and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends about us, and thanks for listening.